Welcome to the Skift Podcast, weekly conversations on global travel trend lines. Skift has never been shy about provoking our readers, and one recent story headlined 21 Uncomfortable Truths That I Have Learned About the Travel Industry certainly did that job. It was the musing of Skift CEO Rafael Ali time to run as the company marked its sixth year. The response, as Rafid has noted, was overwhelming. Awesome truth bombs, one person wrote on LinkedIn. Others were less enamored, especially if they felt particularly targeted by what he wrote. As a follow-up, Rafid recently wrote a love letter of sorts to travel, naming 25 things that inspire him about the industry. You can find these and other essays by Rafid at skift.com slash Rafat. That's R-A-F-A-T. So on today's episode of the Skift podcast, we're talking about uncomfortable and occasionally unpopular observations about travel. Are industry associations useless? Is domestic travel ignored? Why, for the love of God, is mice a term? We'll also touch on the inspiring stuff. I'm news editor and podcast host, Hannah Sampson. Joining me today are Rafat Ali, Skift founder and CEO, and the author of the 21 Truths Manifesto, and co-founder Jason Clampett, who is also general manager of Skift Table. Uh, thank you guys very much for being here. Thank you for having us. Um, so Rafat, you mentioned that the word truths is not actually what you were thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, so tell me about kind of the genesis of this, uh, of this article and, um, what you would call these observations, if not truths. And then I want to hear about the reactions you've gotten. Yeah. So, um, the honest answer is that I really started writing this probably the week after Skiff launched in like 2012. <laughs> Jason and I, I remember, um, early days we started writing about acronyms that we didn't like in the travel industry because we were just starting to learn about the industry. Dennis, Jason and I. Um, I think I still have in my one of my old iPhones a list of these acronyms. MICE was one of the early ones. Um, <laughs> and, and say what that stands for. So MICE stands for, I may be mis- I may not actually <laughs> be. Meetings, incentives, conventions and events. Correct. So okay. essentially the meetings and conventions industry, which is a more common, a more um, colloquial name for it. Right. Um, and mice, I don't know the exact provenance of the term, but I think it's more now used in Asia. It's not, it's less used in Europe, even less used in, um, us now. And so when, uh, we were thinking about what were we going to do for the sixth anniversary, uh, that was coming up for Skift, I started, thinking about doing six lessons that I've learned about the travel industry. Just six. That was going to be six, okay. you know, six for six years. Last year at the fifth anniversary, I did something on like five lessons we've learned building the company. Mm-hmm. Jason did, I think you did five something lessons like yeah. um, about the travel industry from your perspective. And so I started writing this, believe it or not, walking to my acupuncturist. This is very <laughs> New York. Um, we all go to one. Often are walking to the acupuncturist. And so I have this time where I could actually talk into my phone and write these things. 
Um, so because you know, I was walking and talking, it ended up being bullet points. Mm -hmm. It just, that's how it started. And then I just kept on finding more than six. And so I don't know why I ended at 20. First initially it was 20, then right. I was 21, which I came back to later. Um, and, and then we realized that the bullet points short format turns out to be the most impactful format because initially I thought I would write them as that and then I'll put a paragraph each in each of them that will explain what I mean. Mm -hmm. But I think it landed the way it landed because it was just the right length. And Tom Lowry, who's our managing editor who edited this piece, he said, just leave it as it is. You don't want to explain it because then it'll have a bigger effect. And he's and he was right about that. Um, so what word would you use if not truth so initially it was uh so this is where you know you you hear about editors having a headline versus the writers actually writing something else so i did not write it as truths i just wrote it as lessons mm. meaning my non-objective lessons on what i perceive the travel industry to be the, the lesson that i've learned and it got changed to truths and it, it 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 worked because people thought, well, what are these truths? Let, sure. let, let us read it. Um, I didn't want it to come across as immutable truths from the mountain that I'm saying these are exactly what it's supposed to be. And so I think some of some of the some of the reaction so the reaction has been incredible. Just probably the most amount of feedback I have gotten in my 20 years in being in media, hmm. certainly. Um, also, just a wide impact has had uh, in travel so far in terms of people having read it and agreed, not agreed, et cetera, et cetera. Engaged, yeah. Engage with it. And the fact that everybody in the company, whenever they're externally talking to people, have heard feedback on that article. Mm -hmm. So I think some of the people were reacting to the truths part of it, which Truth be told, I didn't really uh, put <laughs> that into the headline. You get it? Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> well, it was provocative. So they were reacting to that. Right. Too. Right. I know how to. So one of the other things for people who don't know my background and stuff, who are, and and a lot of people discovered Skift as a result of reading this mm. because this is the first time it just had a wide impact. Um, my role and Skift's role in general is to. Uh, and I use this phrase a lot with you all here as well, is always be friendly, never be friends. This mm -hmm. is a term that we use as media people. Um, as decent journalists. As decent journalists. We don't, um, our job is to periodically, my job historically and now is to periodically tweak the industry in various ways as we, as we focus and cover the industry. So this was one of those periodic tweaks that I 21 did. tweaks. Correct. So, um, uh, your phrase. Um, so I think that is how I meant it to be. It wasn't meant to be um, all negative. Um, it just sort of came out. <laughs> Most of them were um, definitely truth bombs, as you said. Mm -hmm. Um, which is the reason why I followed up with another article that posted on 25 things that inspire me about the travel industry. Right. Anybody, again, who's seen me talk about skipped or travel from the start 
will read the second article and find a lot of these things that I've said in different speeches, at our forums, at our in our in in our writings, all kinds of stuff. Travel is the world's largest industry, etc. The, the the pitch that I have, mm-hmm. and so um, I figured that we should do a follow up just to say that hey, it's all not all negative. <laughs> this was our trenchant. Mm-hmm. Is that the phrase? I think so. Yeah. It, it sat uh, out there for a while. Yeah. Before you came before back. We, yeah. So. Um, <laughs> Jason, did you get, fe- did you hear feedback from people? What did you think? Well, I was just happy I didn't have to edit it. <laughs> so Ralph mentioned Tom Lauer, our managing editor. So it was Tom's responsibility this time around since I've been focused on Skip Table, our restaurants thing. I just got to read it just like the normal people. Um, and so I was happy that it wasn't that bad. Um, well, the thing is, I, I, I agree with everything on there. Um, and so, um, appreciated it, then had a problem with it a lot more. So I'm happy with that. Okay. So let's talk about some of the more like controversial items. Um, cause I saw a lot of defensive posts from people who work at like university programs in hospitality or trade associations. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, some real pushback on the on the point about travel being um, heavily in the white male culture. But yeah, that, that's the from... least controversial of the pieces. <laughs> like factually, factually, it's the it's the most provable out of all of those, which is just incredible. It, it hit a sore spot for somebody who fit yeah. the bill. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't see many people who don't look like me complaining about that one. <laughs> Well, I think that um, no. What do you? Yeah. What do you think really struck like the most nerves and and I think why? So, so. One of the out of the twenty one, the only one I regret oh. phrasing as as I did was the sustainability piece. No one cares about sustainability. Correct. It was essentially it. No one in the industry cares about sustainability. The, the no one in the traveler cares about sustainability is still true. Okay. And by no one, I mean like. Pretty much the majority of the people don't care. The travelers don't really care about sustainability as a, a, a construct which they think about when they book travel. Industry, what that did was it. it I felt like it hurt some people who 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 do re, who do really believe in it mm-hmm. and who do good work, great work in it. So that's the only one that I re- regret. What I should have said is, you know, most people in the travel industry, uh, and that would have sort of covered the people who who do care. Um, so I think, and I actually went back and changed a little bit of the phrasing there later. Some people may not have read that part, mm-hmm. the people who, who read early. So I think that was the only one that I regret a little bit on saying, because there are, there are good faith efforts happening in the travel industry, particularly individuals, Mm -hmm. particularly destinations, some of the smaller destinations that are focused on, whether it's Costa Rica and others that are really, really focused on that part of it. It makes business sense for them, but it also is out of the goodness of their hearts that they do really do care about it. Um, And so I think that's the only one. Um, Did anyone convince you... um they try to. I think the association part, somebody wrote a long post on why associations are are still necessary. Sustainability, bunch of people wrote posts and send me messages like long messages of why I should reconsider it. All in a very good um, back and forth type mm-hmm. conversations. So I, 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 I 
respect that part, which is that that people engaged, for most part, I would say people engaged with just sort of honest openness on it. Um, hospitality was an interesting one. Um, I said that hospitality schools are not equipped to train for the new jobs that are needed. Again, not a controversial statement. It just sort of stood out because it stood just as like a one sentence. WTTC and others have been talking about how hospitality training is not kept up with, with all the changes that are happening. So these are industry associations who I initially am saying are not relevant. Um, so I do think hospitality education, hospitality schools particularly, and we've seen this for over the last six years, the students are a lot smarter than some of the academics that are teaching them because they 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 are they tell us that they're excited about travel for the first time because reading skipped versus what they learn in school these are the feedback that we get tons mm -hmm. whether it's nyu whether it's cornell whether it's international schools etc etc so um and students are the ones that learn about skipped a lot faster than academics. Uh, now everybody knows, but early on, students were the first ones who latched on to us much earlier than their profs. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that that was the context for what I said. There was there was one about, um, I'm gonna say this wrong, but it was about like startups are really like not all that innovative. You guys are, you guys, Person, you have tons of views on it. One of top LinkedIn's top startups. <laughs> what, what do you think, Jason? Are startups like not actually? We've said this from the start. Yeah, from the start, travel startups are challenged for a number of reasons. One, because their concept of travel is often very, very narrow. Um, you know, when we started six years ago, um, Airbnb had just was just a little along the ways. And if you talk to somebody in travel, they'd be like, "Well, that's not really a travel startup." be like or or uber is not really a travel startup or on the other end google maps isn't really a travel app application mm -hmm. and and so you know when you start with a narrowness like that you're, you're doomed to failure um you know there have been a few breakout startups in travel but not many it's because they think of it one in too narrow way and also because of our habits as travelers are not frequent enough to merit an app that you download you know even hotels find this a challenge to get people to download their apps because uh, unless you're a heavy business traveler you don't really need it no. um and so you know the challenge for travel startups is just that you know they they don't get used enough because there's not enough frequency um and so you have to really understand the problem that you're solving and that's the flip side um a lot of the startups that we've seen over the past you know decade or so is some management consultant that traveled around a lot and then comes up on a stage and says travel is, travel planning is broken um and you know we've we've all seen that uh that stage presentation before. Um, and the only thing that's broken is their business model. So we, as you know this well, we stopped calling ourselves a startup three years ago, maybe two years ago at this point. So but we're, we're doing just, it again, thanks to LinkedIn. Well, I mean, I don't <laughs> control the terminology. They, Yet. Uh, they call us a top startup. Top, top startup. A top um, startup. So we're happy about We'll that. embrace it we'll for We'll take our, our kudos when we get them. Um, <laughs> I do think that um, that uh, let's talk about small businesses in general because I think that that is a positive better and I talk about that in my second piece on small businesses small businesses in travel have existed forever in fact travel historically has been full of them even now is the majority of all the businesses in travel 
probably, I'm sure there's some research on it, they, they do comprise the majority of activity in the industry because a lot of what happens, especially inside destinations are uh, outside of hotels, is small business focused, whether it's your tour operator that contracts with probably a local small business operator to take you around or attractions that are usually small businesses or restaurants that you're going to, or et cetera, et cetera. So usually small businesses historically have been a huge part of travel. It's what makes travel so great is it's the reason why so many people work in travel because it's just people coming through the, um, what's the phrase, coming up the economic ladder mm -hmm. as a result of being in travel. And so we, um, and this is one of the things we're trying to figure out is how do we cover small businesses in a better way? Because in general, media is structured to cover big businesses. It's just big or chains, startups, companies, startups yeah. that are sort of easy to put our heads around. Mm -hmm. um, how do you highlight smaller businesses that have been doing this for uh, 10, 20, 30, 40 years? Mm -hmm. um, and I think there's a lot of that in travel. And I wanted to highlight that in a good, in a, Instead of an opposite way in the first one and a more positive light in the second one yeah. uh, is that small businesses are the backbone of the industry and that not enough attention is paid to them, not enough training, not enough money, not enough highlighting of these types of companies, etc. So so that's kind of what, what I feel. Yeah. And, and to bring it back to the, the startup question, so much activity in the startup space and travel is these tours and activity startups or things like that, which have failed to get much traction. One of your favorite topics. <laughs> I think I'm the most pessimistic about travel and activities as anybody out there or more <laughs> so than anybody out there. Um, uh, but when I go to a destination, I definitely do a tour and activity, but I go to these small businesses, mm -hmm. walk up to the counter, figure out the best one to go to, and I'll book my snorkeling trip with them or something like that. Um, and they know their business and they also know it so well that they're not willing to give up the ability to sell their product to a third party most of, much of the time uh, because they don't know if they can tell the right story about their small business mm -hmm. and why give some Silicon Valley backed company, you know, 30% of your, your booking when you don't have trouble booking your snorkeling tours anyway. And yet everyone is trying yeah. that space right now. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well. <laughs> Another item that I thought was really smart was number 16, which was domestic travel is completely ignored by all much to the loss of the plethora of small businesses that power the ecosystem of local travel. And in the days since then, U.S. Travel Association has announced that as international tourism is stagnant or falling or whatever it's doing, we don't know. Um, but as international travel is weaker, they're focusing on domestic tourism more oh, yeah. heavily. Right. I don't know if they read your piece. Uh, this is yeah, probably no, a longer I, time coming. Yeah, but no, I think this this is predates there. Yeah. So in general, travel writers. This I'm talking about consumer people mm -hmm. and trade people, the people who write about the business of travel are generally, for lack of a better word, elites, meaning like we are the snobs that travel internationally everywhere with the point that we're not going to the local um, um, theme park, small, not, not the big ones, but the mm -hmm. smaller ones. 
um, we're not going to Nashville. Well, I guess we could go to Nashville, but I'm saying some of the some of the smaller Niagara cities, Falls or something. Niagara Falls, etc. Or the, the Grey Wolf Lodges of the world, if you mm -hmm. live in the Northeast. Yeah. So, in general, our coverage and and then also in advertising and how the larger media talks about it, international has this romanticism and um, um, the long term storytelling that happens happens around international travel. While domestic in any country, it's not just true in the U.S., this is true in every country, tends to be the biggest part of it. Mm -hmm. In this, this true in the U.S., it's true in China, which I, I write about in the second piece, which is much as Chinese outbound travelers globally have been a huge phenomena that are changing the world in many ways. Um, domestic travel inside China has just been incredible. Mm -hmm. What's happening in India and in the India internal travel where Indians for the first time because they're rising through the middle class have actual money to spend on travel which historically they haven't is also changing India as a result of it so um, domestic travel which is driven again in large part by smaller businesses um, is ignored in any conversations in any marketing in any policy issues that happen as a result of it as well so which I think we should dig into more as we cover the industry and I'm sure others hopefully will as well. So mm -hmm. that was sort of a conversation starter as much for us internally in the company as it is for outside the company as well. But it obviously is something that is being thought about Correct. much more broadly. Right. And, um, you know, U.S., as you mentioned, if international is weak, um, domestic potentially is the only way for the industry to be then obviously looking forward to mm -hmm. in terms of the growth. Yeah. Um, there is also, this is a thread that, um, that we, we, I, I didn't mention, but in terms of vacation policies in us are at least the awareness of them being so bad. Is Employee, like employee. Correct. Right. And so, and the value of people having, Time off is also increasing the the, the awareness about it, mm -hmm. and so if anything, hopefully the trend is moving in the right direction, which is more awareness, which means more people traveling may not be international. A lot of people can't afford international travel, um, so even if they're going for a long weekend somewhere, mm -hmm. um, at least there's that part. Mm -hmm. I, I I'd add to that that um, with although there's a rising awareness at the same time, there's less stability um, in uh, especially American middle class. And so traditional vacation destinations like a door County, Wisconsin or whatever um, they're having challenges with people being able to afford vacation rental homes there that their parents could have on a, you know, cause they had a nice union job at a factory. Mm -hmm. um, so the, but with the gutting of the middle class in America, you there's a threat to domestic tourism um, that I don't think we're prepared to deal with yet. Mm. That's a great point. Yeah. Um, there was a through line in both of your pieces um, that was very positive about travel agents. And it was basically about the, I would think like the near miraculous survival and even thriving in some, in some segments of travel. Um, Jason, you know a lot about <laughs> this business as a former travel agent. I, I was a I was a travel agent for Council Travel, which was a student travel agency, and um, that was your first job. That was my first job out of college. I was a history major. I had no skills, <laughs> and so 
the wonderful thing about it that I remember is, you know, we you still use those carbon copy tickets. So, you know, you don't lose the pink copy. I don't you even give, know what that you is. You give the so yellow copy. To, you, you don't even know what carbon copies are. Uh, you give the <laughs> yellow copy to the gate agent, whatever. Um, but the our office dynamics, I think, demonstrated what survives and what doesn't. Um, our best-selling agent was this woman named Kay, um, who spoke fluent Japanese because she was originally from Japan. Um, and even though we're a student travel agency, she was the only travel agent in the Philadelphia area who spoke Japanese. Hmm. So any business traveler who came to Japan, who was there for any length of time who needed travel arranged, would come to Council Travel to work hmm. with Kay. So Kay sold her butt off with Apple vacations and Trafalgar tours and things like that. While meanwhile, I was just churning out tickets. And so I was the person that Expedia, I moved on before, but I was the type of travel agent that Expedia put out of work. Mm -hmm. Expedia didn't put Kay Hagiwara out of work. And these, you know, she was able to buy a fancy Mazda Miata while the rest of us <laughs> were like making like 15K a year. Um, and so she survived because she had specialized knowledge. She knew her customers well um, and she met the need. And that's the exact type of travel agent we've seen survive. Yeah. What has been decimated is the high street which what sort of in uk is called the high street agent which is people with um storefronts mm -hmm. storefronts are potent are gone for most part from most of the western world even in uk obviously has gone down except in certain communities where you have that con that connection correct especially like immigrant communities yeah, and stuff where stuff they still have those um storefronts for people who want to go back to their uh, countries etc yeah. um in Asia, in fact, some of the online travel agencies have started physical stores because people are still not used to, like in India, mm. Make My Trip has actual physical stores in the country, which is very smart. Um, so we, this was an education of, of SCIFT, if you will, over the years, which is we came in from an online background. We had always booked, even when we were starting SCIFT. Um our travel online, we'd never used agents, certainly I hadn't. Um, and so I think it came as a bit of a bias on that front. Mm -hmm. And then as we learned about the industry, we came around to the fact that, hey, it turns out this group of, of agents, which is primarily on the luxury side, where they're doing very well. Uh, there's also 2012 to 2018, the digital overload that's happened for all of us means there's this overwhelming amount of choices that um in an online world um people are looking for more human help yeah this is true not just in the booking but in all parts of travel and i think agents especially on the higher end side have benefited as a result of it and then some smart um marketing by the agencies that that sort of consolidate these businesses whether it's virtuoso signature etc cetera, etc cetera, that market agents on behalf of these agencies um, have also done a good job marketing the sector as well. Yeah. Um, so I think all in all, it looks like it looks like the profession is in a good state. The new generation of younger agents actually are coming into the industry. Um, on the corporate travel side, obviously agents had had a huge role from the start. Mm -hmm. um, the companies that are there are big companies that are still there. Large companies need these types of companies to manage their travel. Um, technology is coming into play. I think tech 
as a tool for agents to enhance what they do is is now what the what the focus is for them. So I do think it's an education of Skift as much as anybody else. Well, and cruise lines continue to be very Huge complicated. Right. <laughs> 80 book. something, so, 85% this number that I I was at this conference last week, that's 85% of Princess Cruises is still through the agent. Yeah, vast majority of cruises are like on all the lines. Um, so they'll, they'll have that niche for a while. For a long time. Yeah. So as, as you mentioned, there were 20 truths. You, you were going to start with six and then you got to 20 and then you were like, oh my God, there's another one I, I have to add. Most important one. The most important one. And it was, I like it a lot. Living like a local is a scam perpetrated by travel marketers. All of us are tourists and the travel sector would be better for it if we embrace the real responsibility of being one which is it's kind of the opposite of the message we've been seeing in marketing from like Airbnb, live like a local, live in somebody's house. Um, so why do you think it's a scam? So again, a lot of these words are used for effect, but the <laughs> general import is, is, is correct, which is that, again, us as writers or people who um, – our marketing travel are generally elites in the sense that they're the ones who say, no, we're not tourists, we're travelers. This is a, this has been a debate for, I don't know, last 50 years, maybe for all you know. Um, reality is that we're all going in as tourists into the cities, New York City. We live here. We see these travelers, whether they are tourists and buses or whether they are insidery people who know how to navigate the city or get them. They're all the same. They all um, still walk too slow on the sidewalk. Exactly. <laughs> While FaceTiming. While FaceTiming. <laughs> um, so uh, I just think that the issue that, w- you know, a bunch of the things that we've been exploring over tourism. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, travelers probably exacerbate the issue over tourism because they're going to places where in general locals live and they don't want tourists in any large numbers in there. At least in tourists in cities like New York City, if they're going to Times Square, great. We never go there. Right. So let them just be there. And that's their museum of New York that they go to, that they like, and we don't bother them. They don't bother us. That's great. Um, so I think that's where it came from. Um, you can't really live like a local. It's sort of insult to the locals who live there. Well, yeah, it's, you know, you want to live like a local with a trust fund, maybe, <laughs> you know, with no concerns and, you, you know, you're out all day long and you don't really work. Um, but locals have different concerns. You know, you've got taxes, you got to send your kids to school, you got to deal with your neighbor who's rented out their place on Airbnb and you've got stupid tourists staying next door. You've got to take your laundry down the street. You know, I, I think that. To me, the the term is kind of offensive because I think it allows us to sidestep the responsibility that mm-hmm. tourists have. Um, in many cases, you know, tourists are kind of like locusts with credit cards. You know, um, that's why you have destinations like Amsterdam saying, slow down. We, we need a more strategic way to approach this. You have cities like Venice that are kind of garbage to go to now because of it. I think that we definitely have responsibilities when we travel to a different destination to act in a responsible manner, to spend our money wisely. Um, you know, it's not all about getting the cheapest thing because often if you're buying the cheapest thing, somebody's getting screwed over. <laughs> locally on the way. And so um, by trying to divide it into these categories, it really is kind of an easy way out. I, I didn't want to bring in Bourdain into this conversation, but let's do. Um, I know Bourdain has talked, had talked about um, 
his responsibility in exposing some of these businesses, meaning if he puts something on TV, turns out that whole business will change forever because all these street food types of places that he used to go to, he was aware of his responsibility and was wary of exposing them to the larger world because then they become an ossified version of sort of what they were. I don't know if that's the right mm-hmm. word, but uh, ossified version of what they were uh, that attracted people in the first place to it. Um, and uh, as tourists, there's all, we do have a responsibility of not overexposing places even though the other side of it is sure they get more business out of it. Mm-hmm. So who are we to say we shouldn't be exposing insider things? But point is that there's a responsibility that comes as a tourist, pro and con, that we should we should embrace versus traveler with sort of sidesteps, as Jason was saying. Yeah. And uh, tra- traveler seems to be more blip about the local impact, I would argue than a tourist because tourists are at least they're in that bubble and there are structures to put people in that bubble and then they leave. Yeah. Did you feel, Rafa, like you um, needed to come back and, and write more of like a Valentine? Did you, did you feel bad? Did you feel like, no, no, I actually, I really do like the travel industry. I'm talking about so your, the, the 25 the inspiring. I do yeah. think that I didn't want to leave people with impressions, especially who don't know my history or Skip's history or how we have approached the industry or people who are new to us and now reading us through that article or in general with like, we have, we have said travel, you know, this phrase again, I'll use the travel is the world's largest industry. Let's start acting like it. Travel is the most creative, is the most progressive expression of human Curiosity is a phrase that I've used that I put also in there as well, that the future of travel is at the intersection of design and user experience. So all these positive big picture messages, not to be confused with the industry. This is travel as, as, as just the concept of travel and industry is one part of it. Um, is a message that we, is the reason why we started this. I mean, there's, why would we start travel if it was boring or negative to us um, it's because we were excited first as travelers and so um, so I want I wanted to make sure that that comes across for people who don't know our history mm-hmm. and our forum which is coming up soon is a celebration not so much of the industry because that's not our role um, but a celebration of the promise of travel mm-hmm. in so many ways and I wanted that to come across and so that's why I figured, not as a defense to what I wrote, but as a as a uh, as a defense to what we've created. Mm-hmm. What do you think the industry should really take away from both of these? I mean, both of you, not just both of these two pieces, but kind of the way that Skift has approached the travel industry and um, and the stories that we write about it. That getting defensive about what we have today as an industry travel has an industry and and not being open to outside influence or outside voices will hurt us more in the long term as an industry um and i think that's one of the i guess the big feedback that i got which is a lot of people if if they don't agree with everything a lot of people said we appreciate you writing it because at least it makes us think and makes us move. Uh, 
sustainability was an example, which is a lot of people, there's just a lot of people saying, is this real? What are we doing? Why is it not making an impact, et cetera, et cetera. Associations, again, a controversial one, which I don't know if we brought up before, but mm-hmm. um, associations um, are by definition an advocate for the industry versus what's good for, let's say, the traveler, for instance, or their members. This is just the nature of association. Association is based on members, so they will always advocate the members. They will not advocate for the non-members. Um, in many cases, associations have been the wrong side of history. This is not just during travel. This is true in all parts of the world, in all different types of associations. Um, travel, many associations, whether it's airline, hospitality, etc., have been on the wrong side of history in the past and continue to be. Um, and so... Uh, our role is, and many associations have, have said to us, they said to us in the start, how can you cover the industry without going through us? And I said, well, we don't need you for anything. And this was really what happened uh, to many associations. Um, and so, and tons of companies that have been built just in the last five, six, seven years, whether it's Airbnb or Uber or any of the other startups, for instance, or any companies, it's not like they were part of any industry stations to do anything. They 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 build it because they figured out a way to, to do it. They made some enemies, the association. Sure. Yeah. Um, so I think that associations, um, again, there was that one association that was really pissed off and turns out I had never heard of them. So um, <laughs> Well, most of us have not heard of them. Um, and I think that's the, you know, to, to, to build on what Roth said, you know, one of the things that differentiated us from day one is that we focused on the consumers in the, in the industry and how they're moving through the industry, as opposed to traditional B2B trade publications, which focused on the stakeholders in the industry. Um, and that was their core contingency. They didn't really give a rip about consumers and their habits. They wanted to kind of protect the turf that they have. And that's what you see with associations, like they care about their dues paying members and that's their focus as opposed to looking at what's really happening in the industry. And that's our focus on the consumer as opposed to the industry stakeholders has kind of allowed us to stay outside of the the bubble. Um, and I think that's why, you know, we've leapfrogged any competition and, you know, kicked everybody's butt um, on the media side. Um, and uh, no matter how long they've been around, more people read us now. So <laughs> my, my first lesson should be be more uh, humble. Um, but, um, you know, you know, and, and also back to the 25 list that Rafa did, you know, we, we, we also want to approach it from, you know, what inspires us to come to work every day. Um, and that's why I'm happy it was 25 is, you know, four more than 21. Um, uh, because, you know, we're thrilled to be in this industry. I've been in this industry since I got out of college. Um, and so it's the best industry in the world to work in. Um, and it inspires us. And so, um, you know, I'm, I'm happy we could share those things. On that, on that note, thanks, guys. This was a fun conversation. Thanks. <laughs> Could have gone on for hours. Thanks. Well, we have a forum coming up in a couple of weeks. So <laughs> we'll continue this conversation. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Anna. If you like conversations like this, consider attending one of our forums. We've got two coming up soon in New York City. Skift Restaurants Forum is September 24th, and Skift Global Forum is September 27th and 28th. Find more information online at forum.skift.com. 
This show was produced by Ben Glowey, who can be found on Twitter at visible underscore sound. Assistant editor Sarah Enlow provided additional support. To subscribe to this podcast, search for Skift on iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you find your podcasts. If you like what you hear, please leave a rating and a comment to help other listeners find us. Past episodes and a link to subscribe are online at podcast.skift.com. And this has been the Skift Podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.